half the party went up the fork, the other half went down the fork, and down turned out to be the wrong choice. Because that's where there was a sealed magical ghost room. With like a giant demonic sigil in the middle, basically talking about the four horsemen. Um, I think the room was like a hundred feet wide and filled with ghosts. Yeah, apparently, apparently there was an entire extra dungeon down there for when the party eventually got high level and wasn't instantly possessed by ghosts and could come back and get all the cool stuff down there. Didn't really work, considering half the party was dead by this point. I managed to keep the daughter alive, because that being her birthday, I thought that would kind of suck if she died due to incredibly stupid decisions. So, being a cleric, I sat down in the corner of the room and popped up a magical sigil that makes it so that things can't pass easily between the two, essentially, unless they worship my god. So that nice. kept the ghosts out just long enough for the robot, who for obvious reasons cannot be possessed, to kill the other two party members, and then for us to wait until an NPC came and successfully extracted us. And that was how that session went. Nice. So, fast forward a couple more sessions. Um, we have, by this point gone on a couple of little adventures, actually went and killed those goblins, went to a town, killed some werewolves, almost got killed by said werewolves, until I managed to fail a prayer to my god. And by the way, this entire campaign, my roles have been dog shit. Like, I think in that first session I made one roll over 15, like two thirds under ten. You had my luck when I was the um. You remember the if you remember the one BBEG we had when I was the dwarf. Yeah. And I literally broke my axe. Yeah. No, <laughs> I remember. It's funny because he's actually running another campaign, and in that campaign, I'm playing Kylas. Wait, wait. So with the same backstory and everything. Wait, is this gonna work for me? Let's find out. So I need to start everything. We're gonna find. There. We, okay, I had to remember things because. My hotkeys are confusing me right now. Hmm. Yeah, yes. I'm just waving on the screen to myself. But at least it's holding still. No. Good. So wait, you're, are you running an online D&D? Um, no. Or at least going with a D&D campaign with Lee, like, across the fucking country? No. Oh, is this someone else? This is your special forces yeah. guy still? Yes. The, the idea is, since I never got very far in that campaign... Mm-hmm. The levels matched up that I was able to do a little bit extra stuff and then just transplant that character with basically the same backstory Yeah. to play in that. So now the guy who was a sorcerer is going to be a witch hunter in that one. But that's – it's by the same person. I, I was thinking of a witcher for a second, but I don't think that – is there – okay. Very close. A witch hunter, wait, is that a, is that a natural class, or is that just like what? Yes, but the way we're doing it, because he's done a little bit of homebrew mechanics for that, so like everyone can use magic to varying degrees, yeah. depending on how you build yourself. So technically I'm a paladin, but I play him as a witch hunter, so more on the investigation side of things. Okay. Yeah. And so far, we've only had the opportunity to do one session in that game world. 
mm-hmm. but we'll get around to it eventually because there there's several different games going on at the same time, including a sci-fi one hosted by uh, one of his players. So it's one where the DM gets to be a player. So that's a lot of fun. Nice. And that I'm a seven foot tall werewolf with a gun in space. Because tabletop games are ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I need to introduce you to Aaron yeah. again. So to to really bring this all around, because there is a lot of setup I need for you to actually understand how absurd this children's game gets. So. Okay, so we're, are we on the space D&D no, children's game? Or is, is this going back ch- to the other one that we were talking oh, about before the stream started? Yes, just okay. the children's game. So this is where this is the one for those that are not up to speed on it. This is the one where it's your special forces friend with his 8-year-old and what was the... Like 11. 8 and 11-year-old. Um, you. Yes. Um, one friend, another friend, and that friend's daughter. Yes. Who is also probably like young yes. as well. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a seven by six in yeah. DM class. So DM set. Here's here's how it ends up going. First, lot of lot of setup I need to get into just because of where this game takes place. Okay. So the DM for the longest time was a player, obviously. Yeah. He played in a consistent world for something in the range of like fifteen years. During this time, he took a character from literally level one to basically as far as you can conceivably take them. God knows what the DM was actually thinking to allow the game to go this far, but they did. Nice. So to skip a whole bunch of context, Tom Fullery. there are two important characters that need to be discussed. One is his original character, whose backstory was, my family was killed, for reasons, the gods did nothing, therefore, hate the gods. Eventually goes through this entire insane campaign, basically exploring every single rule set ever put out in 3rd edition, mm-hmm. along with his party, eventually kills all the gods. Because the DM just kept going with it. Is the name of his character Kratos? No, worse, because he's a wizard. And if anyone knows anything about 3rd edition D&D wizards, it's the more they go up, the stronger they get in exponential increases. Like a warrior, like a barbarian, a fighter, a rogue, they have basically a linear increase. Start at 1, 1 plus 1 is 2, 3, 4, 5, until you get to 20. Wizards go 1, 1, 1, 5, 10, 30, until... By 20, they're effectively gods. Mm -hmm. Because of the actual gods offering the best conceivable artifacts and the most possible experience and all that other stuff you get when you kill gods and everything on the way to killing those gods... Oh, his character by the end ended up something in the range of level 400 in a game where actual godhood begins at 30 <laughs> he's he's okay so we need to jump okay there's a, literally i never even watched it 
it's a tsunami anime show that came out and it's where the kid is in the cottage with a bunch of like female like demigods or something like that mm. and it ends up that he's actually just god or he's like a yeah. huge uh, ten, you know ten, you're tenchi muyo tenchi muyo yeah, tenchi yes muyo. like the actual fuck because that's literally the surmise that i got for that yeah and the anime never Here's... the anime never interested me yeah so, it's that anime goes in interesting places, but at this point, it's one of the old ones where, like, you've seen enough by this point that if you go back and watch it, you're probably not getting anything special. Mm. But here's another even more important thing. D&D gods operate on what's called the portfolio system. Mm. That means the god of war has the portfolios of war and whatever, whatever, whatever. So, okay. like, Odin, god of war, also magic, also thieves, because he's a dick. You kill a god, you can take their portfolios. Yes. This is how you get level 40 to start. Basically. So, is it one god per level at this point, you're guessing, or is it... Something like that. All I know is Odin was a dick, Ra apparently put up a great fight, <laughs> and everyone else kind of got their shit pushed in. <laughs> so... Wait, so, does... Do you know what um, order they sort of went in for what gods he attacked first or fought first? Because you... Very vaguely, the issue is there's literally, like, 12 different pantheons to talk about so after a certain point it becomes kind of arbitrary like he's like you know what it's, I it's thursday i'm gonna go attack that I, pantheon. Th the, it sounds like the norse were early <laughs> the norse were early in the line because they knew they were going to be a dick and wanted them out of the way so just handle the hardest fish first yes so eventually gets to the point of killed all the gods is effectively the Overgod. Mm -hmm. The actual Overgod has been chilling out in their Overgod room dimension and just being like, oh, fuck, man. Oh, shit. I can't <laughs> even go outside anymore. Oh, shit, dude. And this wizard guy named Majir has been trying to figure out a way of getting that asshole out of the room so we can shank him. I love that that's the strategy to kill... A god, basically. Oh, yeah. No. Like, there's so much I could go into as to the exact split of what kind of powers he's capable of, but that's not important. The second character I need to talk about is his other playable character, who basically every time the wizard was off doing wizard things, i.e. casting a bunch of spells over and over for months, he would bring in an assassin character named Taz. Taz was a traditional assassin character, like, stone-cold badass, silent murderer of everything, and apparently, while the wizard character managed to do all this shit, Taz actually pissed the DM off. Nice. So, he decided to curse Taz. So, every single person he individually killed would be sucked into his head as a new personality. Oh no. Yeah. What the DM clearly didn't think through is the way D&D &D works is if you have a knowledge base, those are your class skills. Personality can do thing. Taz can do the thing. 
By the end of it, he was somewhere around 140 personalities because he was the assassin character. So eventually, he just went completely insane, and due to being technically uh-huh. part of the party that's going around killing the gods, decided to grab all the chaos domains. <laughs> and slowly but surely turned himself into that one dick who shows up and kills you, and then laughs. It's like the Joker if he was also Thanos. <laughs> A big deal. So, those two characters exist. They have basically been controlling the world for an extended period of time. With the important thing being, Taz pissed everyone off, including Majir. Okay. So every now and then, Majir would just, like, pop him. And then, being an entity of chaos, he would pop back up eventually. And that was the case for, I don't know, it doesn't matter how long. How long this campaign went on and everything. Eventually, that game ended. Yeah, because there's no, there's no going higher, basically. Yes, but there just so happened to now be a, like, 15 years long explored world with everything covered. So when he starts up a game, he's like, well, hey. I have 15 years of things to recall on. Yes. And more importantly, I still got that one asshole what needs a shanking. So, chess pieces, which apparently he literally told them at session one, I am using you to make a plan. You can try to go against the plan, but you're going to go with the plan. So they play that out. And eventually, he succeeds. They kill Taz because he wants to die because he's fucking crazy. Oh, God. But... So is this a secondary campaign? This is, like, his first DM campaign. Okay. I think. Okay. But following the same universe. Okay, so... Okay. So, just to make sure I'm keeping up here. Uh-huh. And Taz, Taz is the one that became more than God, or is this something No, Majir is the one who became the over-God, and oh. he's a wizard. Yeah, a wizard, yeah. Taz was a stabby guy. Who came along with the killing of the and gods. Be- and became insane. And became insane. Yes. And these are the two characters that were made in this 15-year yes. session. Yes. Both of them were the DM's characters. Yeah. The DM's individual characters that, like... Yes. It was basically every time he wanted the wizard doing something in the wizard lab because by that point you can make whatever you want as a wizard of that high level yeah to help kill the next round of gods whenever he was off doing that he would bring in taz okay so but these are these are characters that were only made by the dm yes they they were played by him in that long session okay i thought that okay so i thought because i I don't know what npc or what the acronyms are Okay, P- PCs are the player characters. Player characters, yeah. And NPCs are the non-player characters. Um, yeah. So both so, of these were PCs. Both of these were characters he played while he was a player. Okay. Then, because that storyline technically never finished, because how, where do you go from here, yeah. especially in a party game, Yeah. that left off. So he had all of that sitting around for when he started DMing. Wait. Okay, so he had someone... Because... 
Okay. I'm having a problem grasping the part that... What's the DM's name? Uh, Chris. Or, Chris, okay. So, Chris is borrowing these characters made by another DM? No. He is borrowing the setting, the setting made by the, the other DM. Yeah. These two characters were the ones that he made, wrote up, and played. Okay, so the okay, so these yes. are player these are PCs that he played yes. at the same time, like interchanging or yes. whatnot Correct. through fifteen years. Yes. In a fifteen year world that he participated in. Correct. And he's just taking that fucking world that's fleshed out and taking it into his DM world, and now he's using other chess pieces to kill one of his characters that he made. Exactly. It's like go kill the All chess. Chris. Yeah. Again, it's a lot to cover. It sounds like an epic. Long story short. Kills Taz. Taz being, like, the only other proper divine thing in existence at this point, and essentially becoming chaos itself, because there aren't any chaos gods around to help manage that shit. Yeah. The other overgod, like, the proper overgod, then has to go, God, fine, I literally don't have a choice. <laughs> has to pop out, has to see what's going on. And that's when the wizard strikes. Gets shanked. Yes. <laughs> okay, I got up. I got up. Yes. So... Taz dead, Overgod dead, all the divine everything is this guy's, is Majir's. Majir has it all. He's the whole thing. Great. Which means, by an obscure book ruling in 2nd edition, he can do a thing that allows him to win D&D. Which he did not know existed until I told him. What? <laughs> this is like 16 years in the making. It and he's about to win. He didn't know. Oh, he was doing the campaign while we were working together. And then told me that he was almost done. And then, oh, so he gets to be an old one now. It's like, what's an old one? Well... You know how all of D&D kind of has, like, arbitrary rules at every single point? Yeah. Someone had to make them in the first place. So, outside all the universes you know and play in, there are these things called Old Ones. And they can explicitly do whatever the hell they want. And you can reach that level if you hit the level of Overgod twice. Which he did. Unintentionally. <laughs> and didn't know that this was a thing you could do. Until I told him. So Majir oh, is now an old one. Which means whatever. Well, now he just has a being that he can call on for any time. Yes. By the rules of D&D, he now has a character that he played to that level that can do whatever it wants. Forever. Period. Now, is there not like a Hall of Fame in D in D and D culture out there, like of that, and people have like done the proper documentation. They're like, I would like to submit this character as an old one into the Vanguard, <laughs> into the D and D pantheon. See, not really, because it's so unbelievable that you actually did it. Like, this is where th think about the stories that go into it. Oh yeah, and like. Because even by the end, to shank the overgod, he had to roll for it. <laughs> the yeah. chances are just not there. This yeah. Is where, this is where... Which, by the way, to really put in perspective just how hilarious this man's luck is, he got a natural 20 on the shank the overgod roll. 
I'm not even joking. What the fuck? If he had rolled a... He, the only way he could have lost is if he rolled a one because he'd spent an infinite amount of time wizard prepping. Yeah. But by the rules of the game, he technically could have lost. Technically. And then he rolled a natural so, 20. So, so in that moment, he actually has a coin flip or a, a, a 20 die roll. Yes. Of either you land two or more mm-hmm. or a one. Mm-hmm. Two or more, you're an old one. One, you actually just lose this whole fight with yeah. this god. You stab past his head. He stares at you in shock and then snaps you out of existence. Yeah. like uh, So in this, in this actual single die roll, yes. you win or lose the whole game. Yes. In a game that's actually, like, never supposed to have a winner yeah. or a loser. After a period of, played it in 15 years, DM'd it for three years, so in an 18-year period, more or less, it all came down to a single die roll. The odds were very much in his favor, but he technically could have lost. But, who's gonna believe that? See, this is where, this is where I actually now want to invest the production... <laughs> Oh yeah, of a twenty-year campaign where the goal is to have the documentation on hand on YouTube. It's like the making of an old one. Yeah, no. Apparently, he still has his character binder somewhere because he had so many classes and such a huge inventory. It's like this is my character. He still has that somewhere. So all of this to put into context. Timeline-wise, flashback a couple of months. In this game's universe, a couple of months before he killed the Overgod, mm-hmm. this is where the children's campaign is taking place. Same world. Months before the death of the Overgod. Months before. We're in a dungeon, and the spider character from one of the kids runs through all the traps. Yes. Sets them all off. Same universe. The events are going to happen. <sighs> we can technically fuck with some of the events, depending on what we do. Yeah. But all of those events are what is destined to happen. Mm-hmm. So go forward a couple sessions. We killed some goblins. We fought some werewolves. The daughter's character was saved by a prayer to my plague god because we were getting murdered by werebears and essentially managed to, in the middle of battle, turn her from a fighter to a paladin of Nurgle. So now she worships my god. So Next session... We go to an ancient ruin, kick the crap out of it. Turns out it used to be the lair of dragon riders because kids and give the kids cool things. Yes. So we set that up. In comes the last session of that campaign. The characters have just reached level 6 where they start getting their crazy awesome bullshit powers. Yeah. The orc character kid has started going into what's called an orc warlord. That is the class. Turns out, there is a build from 1 to 20. If you take an orc and you get them up to 20 in this exact build, give them a large enough army of orcs, because it's based off leading orcs into battle, Mm -hmm. and use its endgame ability, it buffs the orcs, it makes them rage, And because of how followers work, while this is happening, the orc automatically ascends to the first level of godhood. 
because enough people believe in him. Oh gosh. So it's like base, it's a like human godhood in a way, like base godhood. Yes. You have enough followers, they believe you're the best thing ever. God. Okay. So he's working up to that. Okay, so real quick. Because yes. we gave the infinite exponential power of a wizard based on just the design of it. So mm-hmm. the question that I had that I think you just answered is, is the wizard the only one that could, that could actually ascend to old to old one? No. Or to all these godhoods? But you literally just brought about a orc who is just, you know, barbarian with green skin and is like, no, here's here's their first step towards godhood correct and it's by amassing an army of believers here's even the better thing it's explained in that book that talks about the old ones mm-hmm. their goal for everything that happens in D is to make more old ones the idea with all these challenges all these different alignments with the original right the creators of D or yes the original creators of D are all put, about put down in a book uh-huh. in second edition a section that talks about the old ones. Mm-hmm. The old ones in universe, in the canon, made all these lesser realities and put a bunch of rules on them with the intention that eventually someone's going to kick enough ass that they're going to be able to ascend to the level of old ones and there's going to be a new old one. It, in that setting, in that uh, context specifically, they talk about having... Two people had previously done it. Uh-huh. So the idea essentially is the entire D&D cosmology exists to ascend adventurers to the level of old ones so they can be less lonely. But they also need people that are going to be good enough for it, you're saying. Yes. Yeah. You have to earn it. Okay, you remind me of the Golden Compass where in the uh, Death Realm, basically. Which is, I'm sorry, that's still one of my favorite trilogies of all time. It's a good book. It's it's one of the best books. Fucking um, armored polar bears, man. Yeah, armor. Yeah, I love that bear. Um, what was the other thing? Um, shit, I had a thought. I had a thought. The death realm. Not death realm. But the angels. No, no, no. It was before that. Like now, you're going down a rabbit hole that I didn't want to go down. It was. It had more to do with um creation of gods, the pathway to it. Mm, um, yes. I had some reference that came into mind with that yeah. process and it's gone it's yeah. it's all gone it's all understandable gone. we're already uh, we're already like down the deepest rabbit hole we're on the deepest it. rabbit hole for D. so yes. like so like let's actually like transition on over to you as a writer and person mm-hmm. and actually go through this because as with hi welcome to jhp by the way this is will martin um pleasure if you didn't catch it um Say hi, Will. Hi, Will. This thing's going to work. I don't know. Yep. It's working kind of. There we go. It's working. It functions. It's, it's, it's rough. It's very yeah. rough. Um, this is where I would want to go to a wide shot now, but I don't have one. Yeah. Um, this is where I'd put a wide shot. If I had one. If I had one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the nature of JHP is one-on-one interviews with people that I find fascinating, and that's kind of what I get to do because it's mm-hmm. mine. Um, so... We can start with the roll down of how we met and everything like that. Just get the simple basic introductions out of the way mm-hmm. and then dive into sort of highlighting ye. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So 
Because I think you forget. When did we meet? I think we met at Friendly Confines off Aloma via like some Cards Against Humanity setup night where we grabbed like a, a corner booth. Mm-hmm. No one drank any alcohol. Maybe had wings. Definitely had the bacon cheddar fries because they have actually they kick the shit out of Chick Fil A's waffle fries. Mm. They have waffle fries, but they actually have like well fried pieces to them. Like it's delicious. It's a, it's its own meal getting like a large mm-hmm. bacon cheddar waffle. So we did that. And we did that like we did that like two or three times where we just played Cards Against Humanity like in the corner. Yes. Um, and I think that's that's where I distinctly remember meeting you. Okay. I'm also, a, I also would not be surprised if we met before then, but I just forgot it. Okay. Then, would that have been before or after Valencia? That would have been during Valencia, I think, because I I went straight from high school at Winter Park straight to Valencia. Like, yes. Just straight away, like you yes. know, spring to spring to fall. So where we actually first met was at a class. At Valencia, we had the whole class. We talked together. I got to know you. Uh-huh. Moved on past that. Uh-huh. Was, oh, that was a fun guy, that guy that was. Yeah. And then a couple of months later, it's like hanging out with Mercedes. Oh, I know you. I do know you. What the hell? Did we actually, like, did we actually, like, come together on that moment? Or was it like, wait, that class? I was... believe so. I wouldn't be surprised. Do we remember what class that was, though? Um... I'm feeling like it was biology or something. Hold on. We're good. Okay. So what was the point you were trying to get to with that D&D? Okay. Whole God, old people story? Yeah. Long story. Very long story. Relatively shorter. Um, 18 long, 18 year long yes, story. So the orc child proceeded to get infected with lycanthropy. There is a divine agent going around what? shooting those in the face. Yes. He was going to turn into a werewolf. He was going to turn into a werewolf. Okay, okay, lycan, okay. Yes. Because technically in D&D, lycanthropy covers all the were creatures. So you get like a were-boar, a were-crocodile, a were-shark. But... <laughs> Wait, so on a full moon, they turn into a shark and flop around in the village? Um, They can, but they also all have hybrid forms. So you'd have a giant land shark that can also punch you. So, okay, okay, okay. So their head becomes a shark? Yeah, well, most of their body becomes a shark, and they become shark-sized, but they still have arms and legs. Yes. Because otherwise, you can't have them punch you in the middle of the forest or something. Okay, or bite you. I would think that'd be a bigger issue. Yes, or, as shown here with this werebear, wield axes. Because if you ever wanted to get into an axe fight with a bear. So, non-sequiturs aside, child gets infected with wolf. It's man-bear-axe now. Yes. Slowly becoming wolf. What did you, what did you look up? Just like, lycanthrope. lycanthrope. L-Y-C-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-E D&D and enjoy the pictures of werewolves, but also giant bears. Yes. That are dexterous enough to wield axes. Correct. And lycanthropes have hilariously massive stat buffs. Like, oh boy, is there some nonsense. Like it pays to be friends with Sirius Black. Yeah, it's kind of like, 
strong for a D&D character where stats start at 10 is about 16. There are certain forms of lycanthropy that can give you plus 12. <laughs> yes. Plus extra person. Yes. It is quite absurd. Absolutely ridiculous. But the more important thing here is that lycanthropy is a curse. If you don't acquire it naturally, i.e. your parent was one, and so you just have it, if you get cursed and turn, you go completely chaotic evil and the DM takes your character sheet, because now this is a monster. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yes. It, they turn into at least a small BBG? Yes. The idea is to cure it before that happens, which I, being a cleric, could have done. When the time was right. Because literally you have to let them transform once and then do it. Okay. More importantly, there was a divine agent whose entire job it is to kill these cursed entities. He had attacked us once before in the middle of the night, only for a ridiculously high-level NPC character to instantly murder him because he disrupted his beauty sleep. Proceeds to attack us again on our way to a quest. I am the only one who witnesses this attack because he's very, very stealthy. Okay. Seeing this divine agent dealing death to this guy, who is part of my party, I proceed to go back to sleep. Because I don't want to get involved, because I'm chaotic evil. <sighs> what we did not know at the time was that this divine agent had... Uh, I believe it was a kind of poison on his crossbows, which lowered your maximum stats. When your constitution hits zero, that means you are a wasted, lifeless corpse that cannot be raised from the dead. Unfortunate. Indeed. So, with this fresh orc corpse, it is now me, a cleric of a death god, the daughter, who is a paladin of the death god, and my roommate Laura's character, who was brought in to help keep them alive, a lawful good cleric of a healing god. Ugh. Now, if it isn't incredibly clear on the designator's lawful good and chaotic evil, we don't get along. The only reason she was there was to keep the orc alive, since these, the orc was the only one who wasn't evil. Just neutral. That, e equal okay. opportunity slaughter. That actually makes sense. So, being death, death, the opposite of death in every conceivable way... I proceed to swing at her. <laughs> now, this is where the fun begins. Because she is a special kind of cleric that has wait, 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 travel wait, abilities. Wait, 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 wait. Aren't yes. you all in the same party? Yes. Oh, wait, okay, so you all are in the same party. Yes. Well beyond, like, the spider trap dungeon thing. Yes. And now you guys are going to start the infighting? Well, no, I'm doing it because I'm chaotic evil. And that is in character for me attempt to murder this cleric who is now alone in the middle of the woods with me and my follower. That seems like a good time to murder. Yes. Unfortunately, she is a cleric with travel abilities and therefore immediately starts flying away. So That's I summon Correct. <laughs> so I summon some demonic birds to chase after her. They're not gonna kill her, but I just want to be a pest. Oh, you remind me of sort of truth right now. Turns out about a week ago, in the timeline, Taz interrupted a wedding. 
the wedding for the son of Majir. Majir was less than pleased, blew up Taz. Taz is less than pleased. But because Taz is such a big deal, all the forces that were taking part of that wedding are now kind of maintaining order. Okay. One of the high-level paladins proceeds to see some demon birds chasing a cleric through the sky in the woods. Blows them up with his gigantic paladin powers. Wanders over to see what's going on. Sees a death cleric, a death paladin, and a dead orc. Okay, what? I proceed to attempt to explain the situation. <laughs> no sooner have I made my successful role and started giving my explanation than the paladin of Nurgle proceeds to point at me and said he did it. <laughs> so the daughter has now thrown me completely under the bus. Leaving in, front me... of a, in front of a standard paladin, which is typically lawful good. Yes. But to a point, to an absurdist point, to where certain people, certain other D&D players, frame paladins as no fun characters. Correct. The more important part being, we're level 6, and he's not. So, I proceed to abandon the daughter and book it. <laughs> Turns out, high-level paladins have a lot of fun stuff, including teleportation, what the, fuck? the ability to summon angels, and this particular one, being really high up there, has the ability to summon a dragon. So I am flying away as fast <laughs> as my horrible demon wings can take me, with this paladin teleporting after me, summoning an angel, and this, and me <laughs> freaking out, having a bad time. But I don't swing on any of them because I know I'm going to die if I actually try to fight back. You're hoping for pity at this point. Yes. More importantly, he's law enforcement. And as far as he's aware, I haven't actually committed a crime. This is actually a pretty classic real-world law. It's like, if they don't know, yes. then you can't confess, and you can't be convicted. And, I and am... if you can't be convicted by a paladin, they have no power over you. And I am not resisting arrest as such. I'm just trying to run away because it's scary. <laughs> now, this is all bad enough. Okay, if that was OJ's defense, that would have been way better. <laughs> If his only crime was, I'm running away because you got a gun. And I scared. Now, so we've had a divine agent who killed our orc, who I proceeded to shove in my bag. Because mm. I can do things with corpses, obviously. Attacked by the paladin. The right. paladin who is sending off a bunch of crazy divine magic in the air. Guess who shows up next? It's Taz. Oh no who proceeds to follow this to the source, where Laura's character has come back and is now chatting with the daughter's character. Taz walks up on him. We know the stories of Taz by now. Taz is something like level 120. Taz has a gun that can blow up mountains. Made by Majir, because Majir. So they're now being threatened by Bad End. Him being crazy 
goes, let's play a game. You get to run. See how far you make it. The cleric of the good god, knowing out of character that this is, I'm going to die no matter what I do, proceeds to pray. Oh. She prays to all those gods that aren't there. That's what I was, I, I was going to actually, like, try to highlight that. You're, you and this other cleric. Yes. Are clerics to gods that likely at this point are gone. Hilariously, because my character was based off of Warhammer 40,000, uh, my god doesn't exist until I started believing in him. Because that's how that works. Also, my god is technically a demon, so he skips all that. Oh, Jesus. However, the other cleric only has powers because they were suggested by the DM. Because there is one set of clerics that still has abilities. Because their god is being impersonated. By... Majir. Majir. I, I'm about to call him Mjolnir. Yeah. So... She makes a roll for it. Gets a hundred on a D100 roll, where anything else is the one god's not paying attention. Like 99 and lower, no chance. The god was paying attention this time. So, threatened by Taz, Majir pops up, still somewhat miffed at this guy ruining his son's wedding, and proceeds to explode him because he can do anything. So now, and the moment Taz showed up, both me and the paladin could sense his existence, collectively lost our shit, and flew away together on his dragon, because that's how big of a deal Taz is. The lawful good paladin helped a chaotic evil cleric get away, because Taz is beyond all that. So me, flying away with the orc in my bag, because I shoved his body in there for later, with the other... For safekeeping. With the other half of the party, way over there, the former paladin of Nurgle, having freshly converted to this god what just saved me. This is a very flaky paladin you've got. Yes. And this is the daughter's character. That's just just so we're clear. That's why. It's so flaky. now, one of the kids is over there, with the pallet with the cleric that I had attempted to kill, while I am flying off, and Majir pops up, because he can see everything and saw that we were part of the events and thought, huh, that orc's funny, alive. So now I've got a live orc in my bag. <laughs> so the session ends with, the kids are split. The two people they're with hate each other, and the cleric of Paylor, I think, the good one, is now on Taz's shit list, because she summoned Majir to blow him up. Oh, God. And Majir is paying attention to us now, because Taz was there. So the DM kind of scrapped all that, and now we're playing orcs. Wait, did you just... Okay. He scrapped that entire storyline. Yes. Because it actually... Did it actually derail his plans that hard? Well, the issue is, it's a game for the kids. And now the kids are separated, following along two people who are going to immediately try to murder each other. Oh, God. 
And as far as either kid in character are concerned, I saved the orc, while the other cleric saved the paladin. So now, in-universe, we can only fight. Okay, so you literally set up a... Wait, you started this, though. I did. You started the separation of the children by picking the fucking fight as a chaotic, evil son of a bitch against Oh, the no, it's even better. None of this would have occurred if I had informed the rest of the party about that assassin what was killing our orc. I just didn't feel like it. So... <laughs> So there were no less than two periods in time where it was directly my fault that we managed to attract both the big bad and the everything period to looking at these level six characters. So for understandable reasons, the DM went, nope, <laughs> and restarted us as orc vikings on the other half of the planet. After... Majir becomes an old one. Oh bluff. Okay, this is why. Okay. Do you did you do you remember meeting um Do you remember meeting Jose? Mm. Okay. Yes. Guess what he actually he just did his first D and D campaign. Oh D &D really? Session at least recently and loved it. So apparently he's got a good batch that he's playing with. Great. From work, and I'm still sitting here going, I have. We've only done one one off session or whatnot where I was a Goliath bard. Mm. which I thought was a fun little caveat. Unfortunately, we had saboteurs. They were like, punch the wall for strength test, and that kind of dumb shit. Yeah. So, like, I think that was probably one of the first times our friend Josh was trying DM. So, like, what? No, that was not the first time he was trying DM. I didn't think it was. I think he was just trying to, like, put it together in a way. Or he was it might have been his first time doing DM over the website instead of in person. Mm. So it's like, you know, six webcams all in a Discord yeah. chat. That's that's um, a, but that was good fun. I got the I got the killing blow on the on the BBEG. Excellent. Which I actually knew was gonna happen, and I was like, he's probably gonna let me kill it because <laughs> I'm the only one not being a dick here that's able to kill it as well. Like, yeah. It's not favoritism. It's favoritism against two assholes. Yes. But also, you're the one that can do this right now because the other useful ones are dead. It's practical favoritism. It is practical favoritism. <laughs> uh. So okay, so we are. Actually, we've already made dinner plans, so, like, let's... How much How much are, how interested are you in actually, like, sort of treating this as a marketing opportunity for, like, your writing in your book? Because you have... You're an, actually a writer by trade, even though you work for a privatized college that sucks the money out of all this the local is talent. Um, we'll sell, yay. Yes, uh, they ruin my childhood, but they pay for my adulthood. Basically. <laughs> so, um... I guess, like, have you actually done any work on marketing your um, book or anything like that your series? Not as of yet, specifically because I have no experience in doing that, and yeah, I'm yeah. very unconfident in actually getting to that point, because I'm me. That's, that, well, that's fair. But book one is essentially done. Okay. Can get that going whenever. I need another roll through through book two to get that finished up like mm -hmm. first draft is done and then i have everything plotted out up through book nine okay so you have some game of thrones level shit there yeah something like that something like that yes would would you like some explanation as to what these books actually entail well yeah like you could you could play as hard as you want in terms of not spoiling it but like 
let's go ahead and make our own practice on marketing what you have in terms of what's the general idea, what's the play, what mm -hmm. are things that you that a reader would care about. Right. All right. Well, the easiest roll for initiative. Yes. <laughs> the easiest. I have, uh, I have dice here, but not with me at the second. But I could. She has but her. Won't. She has a resin die that she just made. Ah. See if we roll on like the gaping chasm. No, the, these these die are big enough to like put a welt on your head. Ah. Yeah. No, I was uh, check specifically talking about the one large D twenty that just has like the crumbled section of nothingness yeah, where yeah, the one yeah, yeah. where yeah, the, the one first, should be. Yeah, the first round. Yeah. Feels very appropriate. It's like, you rolled bottomless abyss. <laughs> Welcome. Also known as Nat 1. Yes, and yes, if you haven't played D&D, that is exactly what it is like. You will dread that like nothing else. God bless. Okay, so, mm -hmm. you have a nine-book series in mind. You have Correct. about one and .95 pieces of the book done. Something of approximating like that. that so yeah how how much how much can you actually like play in describing like main characters main villains or main struggle is uh, it because because i've been finishing up like sort of truth series by tara goodkind which has got the same protagonist the whole way through and right. at one point it has the same antagonist for actually a majority of the series and then it switches for like the last few i think mm -hmm. um so is it got, you know, is it just, you know, Ash versus Giovanni for like a whole league's worth of time and then it rotates a rocket or... It's, it has one consistent main character who is the main character mm -hmm. who, it's easiest to describe the first arc, mm -hmm. essentially, because... Following book three, it goes wildly off the rails to the point where talking about it at all would be spoilers. Yeah. But for the very beginning, at the very least, it is following the story of a man known as Alexander Walker, mm -hmm. who has exists in a world that I can best describe as what if the Justice League was in World of Warcraft. Okay. There is a group, well, an organization of professional heroes gathered from all over the world who basically help maintain order on the central, like, the largest continent. And they have been doing so for thousands of years. Okay. Because there is great evil at different parts of the world that occasionally comes down and, like, throws dragons and cyclopses at things and are Naturally. a big problem. So you need an organization that can handle it. Mm -hmm. Alexander is given... is a perfectly ordinary human being until suddenly being granted exactly 100 times normal human ability. Not ridiculous superpowers, but extremely applicable in a wide range of situations so do we have batman with actual super strength or do we have like a wonder woman or do we have like what's a what's the comparable power range in the, a modern superhero okay the 
closest I can compare it to is imagine if you took the process of getting Captain America, mm -hmm. only you did that same level again. So you just double CA, basically. Yeah. He's not... Yeah, it's difficult to describe, mostly because a lot of superheroes exist beyond those two spectrums. You have yeah. the street-level characters, where Captain America is kind of like the max you're going to get on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have the Hulk, who punches down buildings. Yeah. And he slots in between that. I think he can lift something like 15 tons. He can mm -hmm. run close to 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Like... A lot of super impressive abilities, but nothing world-shattering. Yeah. There are vastly stronger heroes, and because he is basically being given these powers out of nowhere, a lot of it, for the first couple of books, is discovering exactly what the limits of someone so much, specifically so much stronger than an ordinary human being can accomplish. Yeah. And slowly adapting to that. Mm -hmm. In this... He has a teacher who is known as uh, Trillian, her professional hero name being the Lightbringer, because she has, like, telekinetic control over light. Okay. And she can do a lot with that. A lot of very... You reminded me of a Kevin Spacey film. Hmm. Hmm. The one where he's, like, an alien, but he's taking over this, like crazy guy's body or something like that and he's just like somehow escaping at random the ward mm. and like going around town and like solving world problems or shit like that yeah that's what it's reminding me of yeah well so a lot of it for the first story arc i go into is a lot about following this person and basically what is it like to be given the powers of a hero in a world where, one, heroes are a super long-established part of the culture, and two, it is not one of those situations where, and suddenly you're the strongest person in the world. It is not one of the isekais. It is not so absolute godlike power. It is, you are exactly this much stronger than an ordinary person in every single way. How do you deal with that? So he can lift a hundred times as much, which again is something like a dozen tons. He can run so fast, but he can also at a full sprint jump close to a thousand feet. He can react a hundred times faster so than he's, an ordinary okay, person. So he's, he's literally a character that is designed so... is Because it sounds incredibly nuanced. Yes. It's that, because it's not the arbitrary power of Superman. Superman, historically, has just become more stronger as is needed. Correct. Or based on American ego. This character is like, no, you are actually almost specifically described in how powerful you just became. Because apparently the number is 100. Exactly So anything 100. that is an average, average, presumably male, yes. an average human can lift, run... Anything like that is base 100. Yes. And now you have to just deal with that where that's not going to put you anywhere near Superman. Correct. But, like, and so are you implying with the standard Justice League, at least the Justice League version, 
that they're all like thousands time at least in one category while he across yes. his averages is better than some of them at other things but he didn't earn it he just got it all of a fucking sudden essentially the like an easy comparison like trillion is fairly easy to compare to like a green lantern like without any of her powers she's completely baseline human but she can control light to blind people to put up barriers or to do some really fancy tricks when you accelerate things to light speed. There's a lot you can do with that. But she's still a squishy human. Yeah. So a lot of their dynamic becomes she has a lot more power to mess with, but... Her durability isn't up by 100. Yes. And her particular power is she controls light. She does not generate it. Mm. Which means if she's, say, in a cave or something, then she needs to bring along a light source, and it's that much less light that she can control. Mm. While Alexander's powers are 100% applicable all of the time. If a normal human being can do it, he can do it 100 times better. Mm. But he's learning exactly what that means. Mm. So he can... He's tough enough to shrug off a lot of normal people trying to stab him because a yeah. hundred times tougher skin is like Kevlar. Yeah. But that does not mean that, say... A meteorite. Yeah, or if a dragon tries to bite him, that's going to break the skin. Okay, so let's do this actually so we have a proper vibe on setting. Yes. Because you have... An, so Because when you put in Justice League, it brings it into modernity. So what would you say is a timeline, time scale? What's sort of like the setting of this world? Like, are you are we concerned with the whole world or just one continent? Uh, like te technically the whole world. Okay. Some of some of it just because of the nature of the story goes unexplored. But as I said, the idea is essentially the Guild of Heroes is the Justice League in this world, but the world is more compared to a setting like D and D, like Warcraft, something more medieval, Dark Ages. It's very similar to that, but one of the things that I really wanted to explore is this is a world that has all of these superpowered beings, and there's a certain amount of stasis, mm -hmm. just because if you give people of this ability thousands of years to do whatever, you're going to get something that doesn't even look like normal fantasy. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is they are able to use their abilities in every single capacity. They're not always fighting monsters. So you have people who can control fire. You Like, one of the major races in this world are elementals. Every single element has an elemental. So you have the fire, water, lightning, air, but you also have metal elementals. Different guilds in a way. Yes, they're essentially species. And then you have normal people who learn magic you have people like trillion who have okay kind so of let's telekinetic let's, ability let's 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 play let's play a focus into visualization because mm -hmm. we did throw i threw out the medieval dark ages and stuff like that but we need to land on like what does this look like okay like does this look like two towers you know lord of the rings era looking stuff does this look like some awkward thing where it's like Westworld, maybe, where it's like really... Mm -mm. There's, it, there's no tech in it, right? Um, There is a certain amount of tech, but the kind of tech that goes along with magic. Okay. So 
for instance, there are electric elementals, which means you have an excess of electricity. Yeah. Which means you have electric lighting in a lot of places. But you don't have things like radios or phones or any of that. Yeah. You have, like, a tram system because it's along rails, but you don't have airplanes. You don't have cars. Uh... Probably the easiest way to get the tone of the setting in mind is to go into where the heroes are based out of. Okay. So, in the kind of top right of the central continent is the city of Hyjaltic. Okay. R- real quick. Yes. Because I was going between... The two examples that I thought of that almost feel like it are between, like, Golden Compass, because that is, like, IR area. Yes. Without cars, maybe, like, sans cars. Or even uh, Full Metal Alchemist, which is in a similar time area. Of it's like... be- it's very close. The there's a reason that my go-to is Warcraft because it's a lot of super high fantasy, a lot of magic, and all these things. But every now and then you'll have someone show up with a gun or a motorcycle or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like a blunderbuss as opposed to like a nine uh, nine mil. Yes. Yeah. Like no one's going to show up with like World War One era guns. Yeah. But you have entities who are literally made out of and can manipulate metal, so you have a lot of ridiculous structural feats. Yeah. Like, when you have an entire race whose whole thing is, I am the Earth, and the Earth does what I say, you can get crap like Bossing Say, level of engineering. Yay. So, <laughs> for instance, the capital city where all of this is taking place is, is in the middle of a giant ring of mountains which has an inland sea, and then there's a massive island raised in the center of that something like 20 miles in diameter, and the city covers the entire island. Okay, okay, so let's, okay, let's frame that again. So what I just heard was, like, a volcano, practically. Like, the base of, like, the crater of a volcano, but it's just a yes. bunch of mountains surrounding yes, it. Yes, really. and it's vastly massive. I think the inland sea is... a over a hundred miles wide okay so so just for visualization because Mm -hmm. it's not actually a volcano it's more of like here's flat land but let's put like a ring of mountains right here yes okay so flat grassland ring of mountains correct there's a hundred mile wide like sea yes especially like a caspian sea motherfucker kind of shit yes and then you have the town like the whole civilization there but there's also like a giant plateau that that the whole town's on or that the, the capital city's on the capital city yes. so okay yeah like yes. it reminded me of um of of um terry goodkind's yeah the thing it, yeah which, if um, if you know if you know the silmarillion of the lord of the rings uh-huh. it's it's very similar in appearance to uh gondolin the secret elf city oh yeah no Silmarillion. Yeah, there, no yeah no there is civilization all across the continent like outside the mountains there's a lot of buildup but specifically the capital city because it is the final fortress against evil dahara that's mm. what i was thinking dahara out of the um sort of truth series mm. is that because dahara the capital city of dahara is the people's palace and it's this plateau that has the whole fucking palace on it yeah. but it's a palace it's literally its own fucking city If you would like, I could literally just read the passage. Go for it. Okay. So, this will be a bit, because there is a lot to explain, because this is a capital city, 
in the middle of mountains that has been built up over literally thousands of years by every single one of the good guy races. Uh, so Okay. Alright, let's see how this goes. Okay. Let's see, where does this start? Alright, so this is literally the second chapter. Okay. Where after they deal with a little intro mission, you know, showing off the characters, what they're capable of, uh -huh. they magically teleport back to a massive station outside the city. It's mm -hmm. outside the mountains because no teleporting inside the city because yeah. that's how you get demon invasions and the like. Mm -hmm. So they teleport back, pass off their mission, and see, from that, go to the immense road. The teleport station is something akin to a fortress beneath the mountains that shot up from the vast plains of vibrant grass and prosperous cities that dotted the land for hundreds of miles. No country in all the world was as peaceful and bountiful as Jaltic, all due to that which lay at its center. A thousand roads converged from every corner of the continent, flowing like tributaries into the single white stone road that ran the only land-bound passage through the mountains and on to the glory within. Thousands walked this road every hour, an endless tide of every sapient species to inhabit the central continent. At the foot of the mountain was a massive gateway of silvered metal, grander than most castles and patrolled by a hundred automatons that stood in eternal vigilance for the vast lanes of traffic below. The gate led into a tunnel wide enough for a dozen caravans to pass through at once, through 4,000 feet of solid rock to emerge on the other side of the mountain ring. The very stone was lit with dim light, such that it appeared no different from a cloudy day even at night. The mountain alone provided a defense worthy of their charge, woven with a thousand spells that prevented any mortal power from piercing them by force or subterfuge. He walked with Trillian down the main road, the hero's path, passing the throngs that stared and pointed as they went by. The floors and walls turned the faintest shade darker every hundred feet, where spells would seal shut the rock itself and make even this inner corridor impassable. On the far side of the tunnel rested a gate equal to its outer brother, this one forged from dazzling bronze. The gates had not been closed since their construction, standing open until such a time as war came to the lands as it had eight millennia prior. It was almost impossible to believe such defenses had been made through mortal efforts, the persistence of the guild over thousands of years, ensuring their charge was secure beyond reproach. As they emerged back into the light of the sun, Alex was once again struck with a feeling of overwhelming awe at the place this subterranean avenue fed into. He stopped to stare, Trillian turning back to grin in amusement at the wonder on his face. Now this is something I'll never get used to, he thought as he gazed out at the vista that seemed to hold all the wonder of the world. The tunnel ended where the mountain did, dropping sheer in a vast escarpment, look up that word, that ran beyond sight in an unbroken chain along the border. From the gate grew the monolithic Bridge of Narduk, spanning a chasm 500 feet across and equally deep, built of immaculate white marble with great statues of the first heroes rising on either side. Ten thousand homes dotted both the chasm wall and the water beneath, a webwork of platforms and bridges that formed a city unto itself, more populated than most capitals. Yet this was merely the home of those who wished to live away from the metropolis that towered beyond. Set on the plateau island of Jaltic Dell within the inland Sea of Nadi, nestled within the Mulvag Ring mountain range, the city was unlike any other in existence. Forged by elder magics wielded by the First Council in the Age of Unification, the city was the work of those who had stood together with a dream of a unified world faced with annihilation. 
The races opposed to the Dark Lord Melisial had all gathered in the location of neutral standing and strategic importance to form the Jaltesian Alliance, founding a bastion to defend against all the evils in the world that would last until the Serpent's Day. The capital of an entire continent, the jewel of a dozen, dozen nations, the home of ten million souls, a symbol of everlasting prosperity where all the people of the free world found hope. High Joltic. Past the bridge and over the walls that guarded against attack from sky and sea was a wonderful, wondrous landscape of structures from a thousand cultures built hundreds of feet high from stone and steel, wood and vine, glass and crystal in countless styles. The buildings seemed to erupt from the island into the sky where bridges and walkways linked them into entire communities that never ventured to the ground below. Electrical whale railways and airships ferried people to every corner of the city, even as millions teemed in the tunnels beneath the earth and the alleys of its many levels. Above it all stood the Shield of Aldent, a 500-foot wall of gold and silver stone towering above the rooftops, protecting the 13 towers of the Alliance and the Great Tower of Norn in the heart of the city, where the First Council ruled and the Sky City Navinad orbited like a moon. The city spread out for seven miles from the wall before the white iron of Narduk's partition rose a hundred feet up, then descended into the bedrock beneath, waterfalls spewing from its inner workings, spilling over the sides down to the inland sea to drown the island's base in mist. It was a metropolis of people beyond counting, self-sufficient even with its numbers, unmatched in all the world in shield scale. Only its counterpart in Ferton and the sea spire megalith of Akalvite in Klopuk compare. I feel like I need to be doing work so I could focus better on that, but <laughs> I could not help but think of literally planning it out to just put you, like, in the closet in the spare room so it's all nice and padded, <laughs> and it's all got blankets and paddings, and literally have you stream that for, mm -hmm. however, for like, eight hours, however long you could manage. I could go for quite a while. I imagine you could. <laughs> I think that getting someone talented to do your audiobook would be good but getting the writer if they have the talent for reading aloud yes to read their own work would infuse it with more passion and more connection by the reader i imagine especially for something like this it would make it a little less confusing considering yeah you I don't actually... have to exchange notes with whoever's yes. reading it so they know how to pronounce their stuff right like i had a i had an issue in like in the middle of listening to the audiobooks of the sort of truth series by Terry Goodkind that mm -hmm. the main female lead, her name is spelled like K A I L Y N or something like that. Like like something that goes between Kaylin and Colin. Mm. But it's Kaylin. Mm. Everyone knows it's Kaylin. Right. And this fucker called her Colin for a whole book. And it was so irritating I almost blew him up on Twitter. That had to upset though, the fandom. Well, it might have, but like the copy was like out in 2004. Uh -huh. and I was reading that, I was listening to this maybe a year ago. Mm -hmm. So, way out of date. But no, I like it. I like what I'm hearing and reading, especially because it's just painting intricacy and asking questions. Because um, I got an imagery for a second that I was like, wait, is that. Because I might have, this is where the pacing might be, might need to be a little bit slower on the performance, but. I'm at one point picturing the civilization that is living like on the side or in between the canyon. Like they're living on the canyon walls during like the time machine. Yes. That book. 
that's what I just pictured. It's like, okay, they have to live underneath the bridge in their canyon space, away from the metropolis, except up, up above the ridge. That's what I pictured. Correct. That's okay. Then that that hit my mind just right because I'm like, oh wait, they're not even slumming. They're just like, no, fuck that. We're gonna live in our countryside, which is just in a canyon on the walls of the canyon. Exactly. That's 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 a, that's kind of metal. Yeah, they're like. I began a Pinterest board just to get images to help get some of these across, and now it's like over a thousand images in there. Oh, I bet. I bet. This this is by far the area I put the most detail into imagining because this is this is the golden age. This uh-huh. is the height of civilization yeah, on yeah. the entire planet. This is where the Justice League calls home. Mm-hmm. And everything about it is grand and vast. Because one of the things that annoys me in a lot of fantasy is you always get the case where the great highest civilization existed long ago and is gone and dead yeah you will encounter the ruins you will see the descended bloodlines but you will never see the cities at their height yeah when the magic was the greatest when people could raise mountains and build wonders and that's what i wanted to do specifically with this city it Mm -hmm. is impossibly get grand it is impossible to replicate well, even now yeah well like so the sort of truth series has a has that exact issue where even though one of the main characters is like the first wizard mm-hmm. which by its name indicates like oh he's number one yes but the dumbest thing is that he has half the ability by nature because it has additive and subtractive magic in that magic system mm-hmm. and that magic system is a little flawed like you sort of can roll with it, I guess, but it's made clear from front to back of the series that all the best magic of constructed magic of the wizards being naturally born with additive and subtractive of knowing how to do shit that's all thousand like two thousand years ago, yes, and the dumbest thing about the series is that the main character just is never wrong. Because he's that one person born with both sides, even mm-hmm. though like the magic was imbalanced, so only additives started being born and less of. And so the main character wins almost all the time based on intuitive bullshit. Yes. And he's just and what makes it so irritating is when the first wizard is referenced or anyone that knows old magic or has spent their whole life studying it. Yes. And says, Do you know anything about this? I have no idea about that. Because it's all brand, everything's brand fucking new, and what they're trying to figure out, and right? Shit. And it's just like, why the? Um, it's it, it's almost like it's weird when the characters that should be used for reference are always made inadequate by just the intuitive actions of the main character. Yes, and so they're supposed to stand and create like precedent. But when you go through, like, 12 books of precedent always being just turned the fuck away because of just the intuitive nature of the main character. Right. Like, you're kind of like, well, you're 2,000 years ahead of your current age, and they somehow lost everything from 2,000 years ago. Yes. Because of the degeneration of the magic in the That is system. one of my least favorite things, and it pops up all the time. Lord oh. of the Rings had it uh D has it warcraft has it 
pretty pretty much name a fantasy setting. Would you would you actually contend that that happens because in order to create peak magic, you would have to actually spend the time to figure out the full magic system? Like would you call it a lazy piece or is I, it I think specifically in modern fantasy, it goes back to Tolkien because everything does. Mm-hmm. And in Tolkien's it made sense because one of his big things was improper advancement ruins the world like that was the entire point of mordor and saruman they rape the land in order to build technological wonders and that is evil Mm -hmm. and that is the world that he was living with at the time yeah so a lot of it is all the great glories of the past have been diminished Mm -hmm. because the modern world doesn't have any respect for them Mm mm-hmm all the greatness came and went. That's why eventually the elves go out of the world and the magic goes out of the world because mm-hmm. all of the wonder has been spent. Mm-hmm. And it works with the narrative that he's been telling. But in every th- most things that followed after him, it set the precedent of the greatness is in the past and all of these wonders and you can visit the ruins and hear about the magic and see all that. But it's not what's going on right now. And there's, and there's nothing that indicates we could ever reach that. Yes. Which like is the, always the thing that infuriates me the most. Well, yeah, well, it's such a, it's, well, that's where we, it, it's weird how, like, that Tolkien perspective is actually sort of coming alive, even in, like, current children, like, generations, like, high school generation kids yes. right now, is that there's actually a really negative outlook on the future. Because, like, all the great things have already happened, and the future is just so fucking glum because of, like, Yes. In the real world, global warming and shit, but it just isn't a – and I know this wasn't Tolkien's thing. It's just that I don't think anyone had the guts to just say, I like that, but I'm going to do the exact opposite because what's more – at least in my mind, what's more technically demanding than creating the world that is the peak version of this universe yes. and understanding every intricacy of creating like a magic system that makes sense, works, has clearly defined rules – the rules are never broken because of plot. Yes. Like, that's where, um, like, let's say there's magic rules in this fantasy of, um, okay, um, the Peculiar Children series. Mm-hmm. Have you heard or read or anything like that? Uh, seen a few snippets. Snippets, okay. So the premise of there is just there, there are peculiar children that are just born, mm-hmm. but they are basically saved in a way by being because they're so peculiar like they make fire or they look weird and they're taken into these pocket time dimensions Hmm. and they're overseen by these mothers that are peculiars but they're in the they are able to they are women that can turn into birds Uh uh-huh but they have the peculiar ability to create these time loops so they so in uh, mrs peregrine's the first main time loop you're introduced to is actually stuck in this day on this island in ireland during the 40s in the middle of the world war ii mm-hmm. so every night ends with a bomb exploding in the middle of their backyard but it's frozen at the point of explosion so all the kids at the house and some of them are over 100 years old right they just get to keep living that over and over and it's just fun and fireworks at this point mm-hmm. okay and that's cool but like and there's a bunch of other issues but there's a certain point where of course the protagonist breaks all precedent to win of course and it made me fall apart on this series for a lot of reasons like the characters uh, the main the protagonist is actually unlikable mm. like i don't like that character and i don't like how by the end of the third book 
He has broken every precedent. He is all powerful with, in terms of, he at least has a moment of all powerful right. with the fucking things that were hunting them. Like, picture brainless orcs uh-huh. that are being mind controlled by Saruman, but by the third book, Aragon has figured out how to just fuse with them mentally by falling asleep with them at the same time, and now he can control the whole army. Sure. Like, you're sitting there going, like, what? Because, like, he has, like, there's some precedent of what his ability is, but it's like, here's your base ability. You can summon fire. Okay, cool. That's cool. I can, you know, do pyro stuff. But by the third book, you just create sun. Yes. Like, the scale is that's just a bit of a shite. Yeah. See, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to work out the overarching plot and everything beforehand, and how exactly does he get from point A to point Z? What is mm-hmm. the actual progression? What makes sense at the time? Because, mm-hmm. obviously, just because of the sheer amount of time and scale that's covered, he does get a bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, by the end of book three, he's like ten times as strong as he was. But that's still vastly far below even what the top people of his world can do. Like, But, like, it's very clearly, I imagine, I'd like to think that you have at least the perspective on your writing that each progression, progression of power and strength is clearly shown and defined. Yes. As opposed to just, oh, wait, there you go. Now yes. you got it. And like. Far more important than the progression of power levels, essentially, Mm because that's the easiest way to explain it, is what can you actually do with these abilities? You are a hundred times human. What does that mean? Well, that means you're that much stronger. But it also means that you're that much faster and can react that much faster. And if that's the case, then you can deal with situations that normal people just can't because of how quickly they happen. Yeah. But you can, even if literally... All that you need to do is think through it like a person. Mm -hmm. And one specific thing I did is he's not a hundred times smarter than an average person. It is all physical ability. Okay. So there is no point where he supercomputers his way out of a problem that no other character could. So his his ability only equates to like a hundred times stronger in terms of physicality, but not a hundred times weaker or a hundred times metabolism. Yes. Like, because there's certain hundred times that can equate to negative effects. Yes, it is a specific magical application of a hundred times to get past a lot of issues, because if he had to eat a hundred times as much, that would be a problem. Yeah. But, for instance, he has a hundred times as much stamina, mm-hmm. which means if he's not going all out all the time, he can basically operate for days at a time without sleep. Yeah. But that doesn't change, like, that doesn't allow him to do more than other people. It just allows him to do it for longer. Yeah. Like, well, he gets more eight hours, more of the, like, he doesn't have to sleep, so he can be eight hours more productive per se yes. each night. But, but... but for the most part, it's if you're traveling with a party and him being the novice, that means most of the time he's the night watch. Yeah. That's basically the only contribution from day to day to day. Well, yeah, especially in microcosms like that, like that, that basically it's like, it's, it's, it's the point where you put super powered characters in day-to-day experiences and it's like, you still got to wash the dishes, Clark. Yes. And it just like, what, what do you do with a hundred times human ability when you're not out fighting monsters? What do you do on your downtime? Yeah. So he likes parkour. 
Because when you can throw yourself all over the place, you can go places most people can't, and it's fun. If you, at a full sprint, could jump a thousand miles, you'd get some pretty nice views. A thousand feet. I was about to be like, yeah, I know, you just no. broke the scale. No, no. That's some. That's at, an Incredible Hulk 2007 yeah, shit right no. there. Yeah, no, here specifically is his progression for, through the first three books. That is what he can do at every point. Okay, so we're going to do... He has his lifting strength, he has his general durability, he has his movement speed. Okay, so book one, 15 tons. What is the lifting strength? Book yes. one, lifting strength, 15 tons. Book two, 300 tons. Book three, 450. I feel like he got lazy. And potential max is that, 1,900 tons. Yes. That's, that's working numbers. Yeah, that that is entirely due to just know where the scale is. He does not reach that point. Okay. And specifically because one of the fun things I had with it is he has 100 times strength. Yeah. That also applies to his physical condition. So the more he gets himself in shape, the more it goes up. So he has so it's it's the 100 times muscle density build yes. as based on based on workout. Yes. So okay. as he he can gathered, grow 100 times faster per se. Uh, yes, and specifically for him, it basically just allows him to... We're at eight. We're okay, keep on. Uh, it allows him to we'll keep, to, we'll, keep yeah. specifically keep the changes, so he can hold on to it a lot better. Yeah. But, as the power goes, it's the more fit he is, yeah. the more he can do. So he starts as a perfectly average person, which means he's a hundred times stronger, than an average person. Yeah. So then when he puts in the effort and trains and learns how to fight and learns, like, the proper ways of running, of lifting things, he gets stronger. Yeah. So it's a it's a logical progression of that specific kind of power. Word. He is times better, so the better he becomes at that thing, the, the more the increase matters. Word. Okay. So I want to go down one more, but let me ask Melanie something real quick. Do we have... Do I have blue cheese dressing? In the fridge, do you know? Probably. Hopefully, I'm gonna bring it to where when we go get food. We'll find out. I know, right? Um. So then, I actually wanted. So I want to jump into one topic, and then we can call it actually, so we can go get dinner. Okay. Um. So you've actually is this the same series that you're working with Mercedes on? That she yes. Has a character? Okay. So the sort of hole I want to jump down here, even mm -hmm. though we is is that it's a short you, hole. Well. It could be. Um, you've created a nine-book idea. Yes. And you sort of had it all fleshed out before, and then you got with our mutual friend Mercedes, and she created a character. Did that character like just need to be created, and then she made him? She or? had she had a pre-existing character mm -hmm. that was her own idea that she put forward because she thought it would sound like a fun addition. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, how would this character be applied? Yeah. And she turned out to be an absolutely f fantastic character and mm -hmm. ended up just becoming part of the main cast because she was so much fun to write with. Like Mercedes as a, as a co-writer or as the character was so additive to the story? It's a very Mercedes character. Well, I need to have her on for like for to flesh that out. Yes, a bit, but there's like, there's a lot of there's a lot to go into there. Yeah. So well, that's that that sort of goes into sort of the question of of at least explaining it cuz like you saying it's a Mercedes character I'm yes. looking for articulated pieces here. So Mercedes has this character she just 
Drew created. Because yes. I don't think Mercedes she, is she created. Had, she had her own story ideas, but it that was... That Mercedes created? Yes. Okay, so Mercedes had a character. Yes. Had a story, like a short story or something that she was brewing or whatnot. Pretty much. And then, like, chats with you, hangs out with you, and says, well, I have this character. And so when you say the character was it the character that just like you put the character in and then it just like helped multiply the story writing ability yes the character's personality is a ton of fun to work with and the person's abilities are a ton of fun to work with Mm -hmm. because they are a shapeshifter okay so does this does this character show up early in the series or like a, a little ways in um decently early not right at the start yeah well, like book one, book two, book three. Do you yes. want to spoil that? Yes. So within the first three books. Yes. Okay, that's good enough. I don't want to. I don't want to get too specific on that one for sure. Yeah. The 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 general universe and how everything progresses is fairly standard in books one through three. Yeah. Kind of leans everyone into it, and it's only after that that it gets crazy. Okay. So, are you? Is, is Mercedes now a consultant for that character and what that character would do in a compromising situation? Or are you just taking full licensure to just, like, I understand this character and I'm just going to do it. Like, I'm going to let... Because I've i never written anything that big or that hard. Sure. But what I got to understand reading On Writing by Stephen King, mm-hmm. which I think is a masterpiece and just... I it is. It's, it's a masterpiece little short book. Like, if you want to write... You go get that fucking book. Yes. If um, you have any desire to write, see what Stephen King is talking about because he is correct. Yes. So what he explains in On Writing, which I think is beautiful, is that most great writers never believe that they actually wrote the books that they wrote out or that or like they wrote these characters. It's like, no, you let the book write itself. You let these yes. characters write the book. That, so is that character doing that? That is a lot. It kind of was, Mercedes offered the character idea, we discussed it, uh, talked about what she knew of the setting and where the story was going, and what specifically, not how the character would slot in, but what kind of personality they had. Yeah, like, like, here's the juice of the character. If if this character is put in and then was left to me to, well, then what would happen? And that's one of the reasons why she became such a big character is because I started writing for her and just couldn't stop because this character just worked so well mm-hmm. until eventually it's like, well, now I have basically a whole extra book's worth of content. Mm-hmm. And that's where a decent chunk of book two comes from. And I, I like to guess this character isn't anything like, you know, Darwin out of X-Men that it shapeshifts into any fix, but like, no, it's like Animorph, but no, but like, it's Animorph without any super powering yes. up kind yes. of thing. Of a very specific manner of power, a very specific application of power. Like, can't transform into anything that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah, no Justice League. Yeah, can't can't do some of the Beast Boy stuff. Form of a bucket of water. <laughs> yes. And it offered a completely new, unique, but still entirely balanced power set to play with with this existing dynamic. Mm. So, for example, with his abilities, in those specific applications, he outdoes her. Yeah. But... It's hard to be a hundred times badger than somebody yes. can become a badger. <laughs> yes. Or I can fly. Or I can turn into a gnat and see what's going on over here without anyone seeing me. Okay, so, but her char- does her character ever become that... I can't remember what it's actually called. Um, 
the fix everything. No, I forget what that's called. Um, yeah. Uh, a what? No, that's a useless female. Um, if I remember that term. Not correctly. not not just jack of all trades. No, it's a it's a it's a it's something that sounds French. I can't remember what it's called. I'm. It's the it's the one sure. thing I remember it technically when I was listening to the third book of the Peculiar series, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, there's the thing that saves everything. Yeah. Like no. all the tension is just dropped because oh, here's your quick solve everything. Yeah. And. No. Ab- yeah. Absolutely not. One of the. Again, one of the big focuses I was on is if one character can solve every problem, I'm getting rid of that character. Yeah. Because that is that is not engaging to read. That is yeah. not engaging to write. Yeah. That is not interesting to even think about. It's one of the reasons why a lot of the applications of Superman end up being so poor is because when you just stack on abilities that allow you to do whatever you want, it becomes really hard to have tension. Yeah. And really hard to have stakes and things that matter. Yeah. So in this, you have a character who is able to become any animal that they can think of or have ex- directly encountered. Yeah. But can't replicate magic. So they could turn into a dragon, but they couldn't breathe lightning if that dragon could breathe lightning. So, and like, if it... If they happen to be fighting a wizard, and the mm-hmm. wizard has all this, well, none of these animals are immune to magic. Like, it doesn't matter how tough your rhino is if you shoot it with a fireball. Yeah. But, 100 times stronger, man. Might be able to weather that. Yes. Or, deal with the wizard before they can do that. Mm-hmm. While the fantasy animal can transformation person is mopping up all the mooks. While Trillian is shooting lasers at something. Yeah. Like, it's one of the reasons why this character, whose name is Raikashi, works so well is because a essentially limitless amount of options for a situation while having very clear limits. Mm-hmm. Like, if it does not exist in nature, she can't do it. And this has a lot of magical nature just because it's a crazy fantasy land. But it doesn't allow her to cheat. Yeah. It doesn't allow her to do something that isn't possible for anything else in the world. And if she happens to, say, turn into the biggest possible monster, but is up against a number of other equally large monsters that outnumber her, then she doesn't really have an advantage there. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking of a grizzly bear when I hear, like, become the biggest monster possible. And, like, in in real world, monsters. Yes. Like... The... There are a lot of situations that can be solved by suddenly there's a polar bear in the room. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh you God. don't think about, like, the diplomatic applications of suddenly polar bear, but they're there. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons her character is so fun. It's, oh, we're having a really serious situation. Starfish on your face! <laughs> But I, why? Uh, because now I'm a canary, bye. <sighs> it's just fun. I do see sprinkles of Mercedes and that kind of thing. You can absolutely understand where oh, this geez. came from. I need, she needs, she needs to come in town so I can properly, like, just sit down with yes, her. Yes, we, like, we need her episode. I think she's really camera shy, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, we, just, just get her talking about the conversation. Well, we'll I think, I think we can literally, like, shot in her and yes just like, like and here. never tell her the cameras are rolling like the screen that's like right there 
just make sure she's like in that seat and that screen is just like angled away. Yeah, so I was she... gonna say the the screens are off. Yeah, I'm well. I have to do I have to do like a really big trust fall, like the like just to yeah. make sure everything's still working. But I was like, no, fine. Mercedes, don't be watching this episode. I'm not no. planning anything. Nothing's being planned right now at all. You have head nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so I think we can end on that fun note. Um, do you have do you have a um a publishing date or a, a release date coming for that book at this time or not as release? of yet i'm i need to give it one last go through and then i will be looking into actually getting it out because it's literally 99.99999% done yeah okay and, and then, then when it is yeah figure it out yeah and then you got to figure out like who to publish with and stuff like that yes yeah that's see the writing's the easy part yeah the everything else is the hard Well, link me those. Huh? Link me those. I will. Thank you. Yeah. Remind me, because um, I'll have to scroll, uh, scroll through a lot of shit to find it again. But sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of really good ones where you can self-publish. You can get your own ISBN. Um, and honestly, you can post it for free, basically, to Amazon. You can say, this is the page size I want. Here's a uh, copy-paste of hmm. the book. Yeah. And here's the image I want yeah. for the the front of the book and here's the back of the book and off you go very cool well if there are any other aspiring writers here there advice listen so, yeah something like that i do know like it's a c word but amazon does have its own like self-publishing ish thing but mm -hmm. it also is an avenue for publishing your own audiobook as well right like submitting just because you have to do all, like all the work they're just helping there just get it out and uh -huh. get it distributed and stuff uh -huh. so alrighty, so Thank you, Will, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And it definitely has. We will see you all next time. Have a good Bye. night, everybody.